Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from Los Angeles, just uh, actually he's in Hawthorne, uh, just on the other side of the county to me uh, is Eric Severson. Eric has a new book out called Peak Performance, Mindset Tools for Sales. Um, and this is a compilation of 24 of some of the best uh, salespeople on the globe. And Eric, good day to you. How you doing? Good day to you, Greg. Thanks for the introduction. And uh, you say my book, it's actually the smart people are the authors that I gathered <laughs> to get them like Mike Bosworth, superstar in sales for years and years and years. And so that's what I'm most proud of is the authors gathered together to make this book happen. Yeah. And you did a great job of getting, uh, and we're going to try and cover for all those listening as much of this as we can and a smitten of everything, but there are 24 chapters in the book. Uh, from authors that have all contributed to this. And you can pick this book up anywhere and just open to a chapter and you're going to learn something. That, And I'm going to tell anybody in sales, definitely go out and get a copy of this book. Um, I'm going to tell them a little bit about you, Eric, because you got your own interesting background. Then we're going to get into the questions. Uh, and then we'll wrap up this interview with three things that you think are great takeaways for our listeners today uh, to start implementing into their life and their sales career. So Eric's on a mission to inspire people. He holds a master's degree in anthropology and is a certified practitioner in neuro-linguistic program. He draws from his years of reaching at the university level and years of real life experience to motivate people to take action, creating extreme success in business and in their life. Eric's author of 11 books, keynote speaker, adventurer, entrepreneur, and educator, who's traveled in 95 countries and over 50 states in the U.S. His travels and intersections with people have been a deep study of love and struggle and the ways of thinking that uh, Eric relies on to tackle challenges in school, business, and life. He most currently ambitious is ambitious project was sharing his lessons he learned with others and climbing mountains. He lives in Hawthorne, I said, with his wife and two teenage boys. And you can reach him at his website at www.ericseversen, and it's E-R-I-K. So a good Swede. He likes to spell everything a little different than everyone else. Hey, Norwegian, um, I've got two Norwegian on that. Nor Norwegian. Well, I said Swede. I was close. I we were was super close. close. We're all yeah. friends up there. Yeah, well, sometimes they're not friends. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, so Eric, could you uh, start off by giving an overview of the book, uh, the Peak Performance Series, which a lot of your books are Peak Performance something. <laughs> um, this one happens to be Peak Performance Mindset Tools for Sales. What inspired you to want to write this book on sales? You have others yeah. uh, that are peak performance books. Uh, why and why do you think it's an important message for our listeners? And um, thanks, Greg. The, the The series started off pretty broad. It started off with peak performance mindset tools for business and then peak performance mindset tools for entrepreneurs. 
peak performance mindset tools for leaders. And then I realized I really wanted to get focused on one trait, one something tools people can use um, for something practical, like a sale, like sales. And I knew a few people, this is the first book that I actually knew a few people in before I started. Um, and I've, I've been inspired by them. So I knew for sure I needed, wanted a few perspectives from pe people that I've already learned from and then reaching out to other people in the sales community because sales, a lot of people think sales is a tough industry. It's one of the most, the industries I admire the most because you really have to understand rejection. It's really hard. A lot of people after college, I think it's 50% of people will at some point in their life, and I got this from Mike Bosworth, um, have a sales position in their, in their, in their lives but there aren't 50% of people working on the planet of sales. That's for sure, because it's hard. It's, it weeds out those who really can't handle it. And so what I wanted with this book is to give a little bit of advice, some practical tools that can help people be more successful in sales and more successful might be just sustaining their level of sales where they're on, where they are with, with what they're doing and making their lives more comfortable by understanding the sales process better or, 10xing their sales through some of the strategies in this book. One chapter, for example, talks about increase, increasing online conversions by 900%. And it's not a joke. Um, it's not a, a, just a, a, a click magnet to get people to click on something as crazy as that. And we can talk about that in a little bit. And what I also love, Greg, is the perspectives. We have Katie Armentrout. Um, she's young. She's, I don't know, she's in her 20s, mid 20s, maybe. And she grew up in a sales family and she has her experience with a mom and pop shop. Then we have, you know, Mike Bosworth, who's been an icon in sales from Xerox, times of Xerox, you know? And so we have such a array of perspectives from a young, excited salesperson to an established icon in, in the industry. And they're all equally valuable to different people, which I love. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, I do people think of sales as kind of sometimes being a slimy job, but it's not. Yep. Um, it is a profession and the people that do it are professionals. And I love Daniel Pink's book from a long time to sell as human. You know, all of our life, we've been convincing and or selling people our mate to marry us. This is probably mm -hmm. a really good example was like, hey, when you're dating somebody, aren't you really selling? Yeah, you are. Uh, you're trying to do the things proper to get that person to want to become your girlfriend, boyfriend, and get engaged and or get married, right? And so I, I think when you look at sales from a standpoint that it is an inherent human trait, people say, well, I wasn't born a salesman. That's true. A lot of people aren't born salespeople. But everybody has the ability to learn from this book and from courses that you can take and all kinds of things that you can become better at the skill of selling. So that leads me to what's the most challenging factor that you found in weaving these different perspectives and experience into one cohesive book? Because it, granted, you can open up any chapter anywhere and take out what you want from this book. And there's lots of references in this book too. In the back of them, each author is given places where you can go, but just for the references themselves, it's a great book. So how did you weave all these people together with all these different perspectives about selling? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And originally, so I had my assistant's name's Dell. Originally, Dell and I do the reach out. She does most of the legwork and then she makes lists of people she thinks would be good for the book. And then we decide who actually to reach out to. And then once we make a connection, we usually have an idea. We start with a, a picture of a puzzle and we want different puzzle pieces to for this puzzle to make a picture, right? Mm-hmm. However, Greg, once we make connection with the authors and we start to talk with them, and then at that point, we don't choose, we don't tell them which puzzle piece to write about. We ask them what excites you most about sales? What can you contribute? And we arrange the the, the puzzles that way, where the authors had free reign. Once we decided that, that they were a good match for the book, they had free reign to choose exactly what they thought was a, the most important message. And it just turned out to be this great, or wonderful array, like I said, of such different perspectives from a morning routine to having thicker skin to, you know, um, not being that sales guy and <laughs> not committing, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. You know, Mike Bodsworth again, his, he has the original sin, which is a salesperson acting like a salesperson where right. that's not, that, that hasn't been, been effective since probably 78, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, and speaking of Mike, uh, he made a contribution and one, I think his chapter is actually the first one and the second one. Second um, one. Yeah. It, it, he's definitely a notable guy from Xerox days, it, it, accolades, his own company and training salespeople, uh, story selling or storytelling uh, is one of the things that he's gotten into now. He is a wonderful human being. Can you share a key insight or strategy from his chapter, especially as it relates, because the chapter is about connecting with strangers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the I kind of mentioned it. One of the things he talks about right away is that original sin that as soon as you become a salesperson, your neighbors and your friends and your family can no longer trust if you're trying to sell them on something or if you're just out there at the barbecue talking, you know, enjoying each other. And he does a great job of explaining that we don't need to act acting like a salesperson isn't going to go anywhere because people, they want to buy, but they do not want to be sold to. And so by creating these relationships and Mike talks about making sure they are real relationship the cells right. are going to happen by themselves with these authentic relationships with people. And I really love that part. And so that's, that's one of my favorite things from him. And also he mentioned something kind of near the end of this chapter, I think that people make emotional decisions based on logical factors. So yep. that idea of an emotional sale, there's still logical factors behind that. And for Mike, he talks about envy is one of those logical factors where are somebody's envy of something, something somebody has is a valid logical reason for them. And this is all unconscious. They're not going to be talking about this out loud for sure. They're probably not going to want people to know about that because it's an unconscious factor, right? Somebody's envy of something provides that logical reason to make the emotional buy. And most definitely because our emotions drive it in other words just take buying a new electric car and i mm-hmm. the reason i say this is because i've had a couple of people on here talk about that lately it's like you can look at uh the consumer reports on all the different models and makes and things and what do they have and the range and blah 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 and whether you're going to get your tax credit in the end but in the end behind there's an emotion and that emotion is is this being driven by me helping to save the world 
Is this being driven by me looking really cool in an electric car? Is this being, what are those emotions and what are the feelings that you're getting as a result of it? And I think the feeling forward is a big factor. And that brings me to this David Brownlee approach. You know, David focuses on customer relations extensively. Yeah. Um, what unique angle does his chapter provide on client interactions for peak sales performance? Because this is this is kind of a bent of mine, uh, Eric. You know, I I, I mentioned this because I just had solar put on my home, and I actually do sales training myself for people. And uh, the salesman came out. He was out here twice, and I've never heard one word from him since. And I, I keep thinking to myself, why aren't people prospecting the people that naturally would give them a referral to somebody else versus because they just drop off. They're like on to the next yeah. and they're not building the relationship. And that's the number one sin in any of the business is to drop somebody off. Don't build a relationship and not get a referral. Why wouldn't you want to do that? It's the easiest way to propel your business. Yes, I, I'm so glad you asked this, Greg. So, yeah, so David Brownlee lives in San Diego, absolute superstar. He's actually a LinkedIn coach. He's, um, he's, uh, it's hundreds of thousands of people on LinkedIn have taken his course. He's had multiple LinkedIn courses, and his chapter focuses on we should focus less on selling and more on serving. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, by serving our customers and our clients, we are providing something that they need and they want to pay us for. So it's an, it's a win-win. It's a celebration all around. And David Brownlee, he's got another anecdote where he, um, talking about the follow-up, he had, he rented a car for a business trip. He had a speaking engagement in a, in a city. Um, he went and he rented a car like he always does. And he, um, he actually, the, for some reason he rented from a different company than he normally rented from. And he gets back and about two weeks later, the phone rings and it, popped up it was you know whatever rental car i don't remember what was what it was it was from the rental car company immediately he got super defensive before he even answered the phone and he thought i didn't damage that car there's no way i know for sure i didn't damage that car he thinks they're coming after him for a dent in the fender or something he picks up the phone and somebody says mr brownlee um i know that you rented out of cincinnati or where it was two weeks ago i just want to follow up and find out how your service was was did we satisfy all of your expectations he was floored mm -hmm. and guess what? He's never gone back to his original rental car company, even though they did nothing wrong. His original company did nothing wrong. Right. Suddenly somebody made a cold full call to him just to ask if he was satisfied with their service. And suddenly he jumped ship and started renting exclusively from that company going forward. And David travels, shoot, he speaks 25 oh, times. Yeah, 25 times a year, probably. And so, well, and the thing is, is that, you know, Eric, it's the lifetime value of a customer, right? A client, a client. You know, it's one thing to say I have a customer, it's another thing to say I have a client. The two words are not interchangeable. A client, it's transactional. Or, I'm sorry, a customer, it's transactional. A client, it's ongoing. And the value of that keeps building and building. And that brings me to Adriana Logan's insights. You know, she's a unique perspective. Um, she brings a unique perspective to the table. And I think this deals with the psychology of a salesperson, what's going on inside of them. Right. Uh, in terms of developing a winning mindset 
and building self-confidence. And I mean, you can only take rejection so much, right? Um, but what Adrian talks about is what you do to build the winning mindset and to overcome uh, probably a poor self-confidence of yourself. Can you address that and why that's so important in every salesperson's life? Yeah. So Adrian, actually, he's a superstar in the UK. He was he's a he's a military veteran in the in the UK forces. He's um, done wonderful things in sales now as well. And he says all of us have when 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 asked privately our confidence levels, all of the surveys show that people generally feel a lack of confidence, even if they seem confident. And what he's saying is in sales, we need to address that, that lack of confidence that nobody might see um, to become in, in reality confidence. And one of the ways we, a few ways we can do that is rehearsing. I think that's the number one thing he says in to build that confidence is knowing your stuff and rehearsing it really, really well. And then also positive self-talk because too many people go into sales and they, you know, they don't want to hear the no, they don't want to be the salesy guy either necessarily. Right. But once you rehearse it and you um, do that positive self-talk, that kind of goes away. So that's one of the things I took away from his chapter that I really, really enjoyed. Well, Tim Robinson is along the same lines. It's around mindset. But he talks about the neuroscience of selling. And I think the neuroscience is a part that maybe not too many people in sales have been thinking about, but how we're hardwired yeah. and how we can look at, um, you know, the various parts of our brain, uh, the amygdala, various parts of the brain that are really affecting us. You speak of us this visualization he talks about, positive self-talk he talks about, and how this relates to us rewiring our our mind. Absolutely. And also connecting with others, which is a, another thing I like. He mentions, and I don't know exactly what they all are off the top of my head, but for example, serotonin. If we can do something to make somebody feel like they belong with us, a, a jolt of serotonin might go, get into their system. And serotonin is a comfort comfort feeling. So suddenly they feel comfortable with us because of this jolt that we have somehow created by giving, giving them a sense of belonging. And that might be as simple as um, asking um, a favor for some, for something small or asking, um, Hey, is this, do you like this title or this title better for a book? For example, if I'm creating a book, do you like this title or this title better? This person will give their opinion, but their opinion is less valuable than that they've helped me with something. And suddenly there's a small chemical response going on them that they consider themselves a helper of mine and therefore build a closer rapport with mine. Dopamine makes us feel wonderful and charged up, for example. So if we are able to do something like, oh my gosh, did you play sports in, call in, in high school? Oh yeah, I was a guard on the football team. What was your favorite moment? Oh my gosh, I, I, I made this block for the winning touchdown for our homecoming game. That person right now saying a 22nd story of their football days back in high school, maybe 20 years ago, has just released a few chemicals in their body as they're reliving that exciting experience of that 
football block that they did as a guard on their homecoming day. And once those emotions are released, they suddenly feel great. And so our, the process of me working with this person on this transaction of something that they, they need, because I wouldn't want to sell to somebody, sell something that they didn't need, um, they're, they're more likely to create that bond and connection. So that neuroscience and figuring out what are the chemicals that are released? What are the techniques that we can get them to be released? And this is part of my neuro-linguistic programming as well. And Tim, Tim's chapter does a great job, high level, just explaining some of the very high level ideas that chemical responses within our brains will affect people's attitudes and rapport with us. Yeah, it, you know, it, what you're talking about is so important and it's really building rapport um, by asking questions and open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. um, and truly from a level of sincerity, a level also a lot of people don't like to use, but there is a, a TEDx talk. You were on TEDx. Mm -hmm. So you might remember, I can't remember the guy's name, but he calls it cell sincerity, listening, loving S E uh, uh, the E was for something else. But the point was love was one love the customer. Right. And he said, so many people said, well, why do you use the word love? You don't want to use love in there. And he goes, yes, you do. It's just because if you care about them more than you wanting to try and explain your product. Right. There was a, what is that statement? Uh, people don't uh, care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Right. And I think that's important. And it's truly important in today's world is knowing how much you care to help them do something, just like you just said a minute ago, you're going to build a relationship, you're going to make a connection, they're going to build trust with you. The trust is a key factor for any salesperson to have. Now, I'm not going to profile all these chapters, but I am going to end up with this chapter. And that's the one with uh, David Schneider's technique. Uh, he's known for his dynamic approach. He shares these principles that have helped him to, to cultivate what he calls a prosperous mindset. Uh, can you share those five principles with the listening audience that he had in that chapter? Uh, maybe I'm calling you on the spot. But, yeah, I don't um, remember the five. It's okay. Exactly. But, I'm but gonna, I, I actually want to bring up something real quick um, about the, we mentioned rapport in the follow-up and how surprising that is. One of the things that Sean Fector mentions, um, actually, he's in the he he's the one who talked about increasing conversions by nine hundred percent. And in a nutshell, it's the speed at which we get back to people on online right. orders is just right. shocking. And he was talking about um, it. He has an Excel spreadsheet with um, sports teams um, and another one for family members. And he, if if there's people important in in these are customers, not clients. Be, or clients, not customers. So they're long-term um, that he's working with and he will put their names in what team they like. And he has his virtual assistant make sure that they know when his team, for example, does something that makes the playoffs. Um, and there might be 10 people in his sales orbit that he, that he will send an email to congratulating them on this. And this isn't even during the sales process at all. This is while the sales process is far long gone just to well, keep it's, relationships it's up. keeping the relationships going and i think you know when you look at companies that are really good at that like amazon right mm -hmm. i'll just use it all of us can take a product back and in less than 24 hours we get our money back right 
-hmm. And you're thinking to yourself, you get an email of mine immediately that says, hey, thanks for returning the product. And then another email said your money's back in your bank account, right? Uh And it's it's just those level. And then you go to other companies where it takes them weeks to actually get that credit, right? Uh, I just had an experience with Shopify through somebody that was supposed to return a credit to me. Literally five days to make the credit. I'm thinking to myself, why does Shopify need five days and Amazon can do it in 24 hours or less, right? right? So these all make a difference as to where you choose to spend your money, right? Because of how you feel you've been treated. You've been treated as a preferred customer. And I think that's really important. Um, So throughout peak performance, there's these common themes or principles Um, that all these authors had and you kind of agreed on. What are some of those common themes and what is it that you found kind of made that all the, what I call the tapestry that you created in this book kind of come together? Because I love it. I just, I love it because I can just go to any chapter and I'll read a chapter. And it's this one. This one is uh, Lauren Kell. Uh, will the real salesperson please stand up? Right. right? <laughs> That's what I love about the book is it's like a little reference book. Carry yeah. it with you. Take it with you. If you need a, something to read and you only have 10 minutes in between calls, read a chapter out of the book because you're always going to take something. Yeah. One of the themes that I think comes up quite often, and this was just organically, that these are what the authors wanted to focus on. Um, one is the the relation relational selling, that that selling is a relationship. It's not, not just a transaction for good right. salespeople. We're not talking right. about the average sales per, person. We're talking about to the next level. And also understanding mindset, um, how we can, through the positive self-talk, through the, um, you know, the uh, visualizing things for that, Things like that came up quite often as well. And then there are some chapters that have their own little unique perspective that nobody talks about. For example, Jarvis Leverson talks about the morning routine, starting the day um, in a certain way every day to get you going in the right direction um, is a great, really, really good tool for salespeople who need to consistently show up and consistently you know, stay ahead of the game um, and perform better than their, their, I I think routine for anybody, a gratitude routine, a journal, uh, whatever it is that you do, that's your uh, pattern. Uh, It's very important for salespeople. It's probably one of the most important things. And time management is another really big time blocking for salespeople. Cause I'll ask salespeople, Hey, well, did you make the calls? No, I didn't have time. And I said, well, you certainly didn't block the time on your calendar. Because the reality is if you only made five calls a day, 25 a week, and whether you got no's or yeses, it doesn't matter because it is, I know where people say this, it is kind of a numbers game. Mm-hmm. You've got to hit people at the right time. It's everything has to you kind of pull all the pieces together. It's your job to navigate people psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually to actually end up with a sale. What are some of the common challenges in sales that you, the book addresses and how do the different offers authors propose to kind of tackle them? Um, one of the ones is that that thing about the perception of sales that people have a knee jerk reaction if if somebody's trying to sell them something, and so the reaction to that would be to again be authentic and create the relationships rather than trying to make the sales. Um, other ones talk about 
the I like the idea of also you're going we're going to get rejections. We're we are going to yeah. hear no more often than yes. And one way to to avoid getting depressed over that is celebrate that. If you have an average of nine no's for or a 99 no's for every one big yes for a big ticket yeah. item, you know, calculate how many how much you make off of that big ticket item by all those no's and every time you get a no, yes, I just made, you know, $140 by that no. Right, right. <laughs> because knowing when you hit that number because it's so easy to just get get I don't think depressed is the right discouraged to get discouraged and not want to pick up that phone because it's hard to hear no after over and over again. But like you said, if you can do it five times a day, 25 times a week, that's going to convert absolutely. And so I think persistence that came up a lot in quite a few of the chapters. Um, the average number of follow-up that a salesperson does with um, a potential customer is 2.8. Uh, however, the average number needed to get a conversion is like six to 12. So we quit too early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I had uh, um, Helen, I'm, I don't want to mess up her last name, but she was the director of sales from Microsoft, broke away and wrote a book on um, the love of selling. I think she, the love was in the title. And I remember her saying, you know, that the people at Microsoft work as teams to sell and it can take a year, two years. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what's the size of the sale? Now, the average person out there we're talking to right now isn't doing a hundred million dollar sale, but their sales are in the tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And it, you have to, you know, you're working with numerous people and coordinating and putting things together and how you're going to put this whole suite together that Microsoft sells for these people. And it's fascinating, the perspective, but if everybody treated sales, number one, with love, and they treated it in a strategic way, which it is almost like how Microsoft has to do it, it's there. So for someone reading peak performance, because we're probably addressing a lot of the people that are not selling things that are $100 million, yeah. what would be the first piece of advice you'd recommend that they implement into their daily routine? You were just talking about routines. Yeah, that's um, great. Um, one of the chapters, I can't remember which one it, what, what, which one it was, um, but it's a chapter by one of the women authors in the book. And she, in our discovery call together before the book was produced, she goes, I don't know if this is going to help or not, but... I don't, I hate selling. And I'm like, what? And she actually got into a point in her sales career that she started hating life. And then she actually made a transformation that she hated selling, but she said, but I do love relationships. So she decided she was just going to talk about the same things she talked about pretty much, but she wasn't even going to care about the sale. She was going to care about the relationship. And of course, you know where this is going. She started really, the sales continued, in fact, improved, but more importantly, she found this balance. At first, she said her original idea was, I'm going to bite the bullet, grit my teeth, and I'm going to sell for eight hours a day so I can live the life I want with the money I make. So do something I hate so that I can have something I enjoy. But then she transferred into making sales all about the relationships and Greg loving the people she was working with loving the people she was working with. And that created these wonderful relationships that often turned into sales, but that was a byproduct. 
she was all in for the relationship and nothing else. And now she has this wonderful balance in her life. She's still doing sales. She doesn't hate sales anymore. She's also making the money to have the freedom she wanted in, in, in life. And so that was just all that total shift in perspective. And again, it kind of goes back to the relationships, but I do like to reinforce that love is a part of it, I think, for authentic relationships. It is. And it's maybe you don't want to use the word love. You want to use the word compassion or understanding. And I think listening, you were talking about it. You know, one of the key foundational pieces for anything is listening and not just waiting to respond to somebody, but truly deeply having a connection to listen to what's going on. Right. And um, it takes a talent to learn how to do that so that you understand to keep the person engaged so you can kind of move the conversation forward to the next level. I know some salespeople feel very awkward when they first start out. It's like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask. And and I usually say, well, pretend like you're talking to your best friend, but you forget what to ask or what to say, because this person is going to become your best friend after you're done asking the right questions. Right. And that, and that is the key to it. Right. Is Yeah. It, it, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like anything in life where you're trying to help and serve, um, your role, your product is helping and serving for some reason, whether you're selling toothpaste or you're selling electric cars, you know, there's a purpose for it, uh, and there's a need for it. And there you are helping people in the process. And that brings me you know, you are, you are the one that kind of compiled and edited all this. And I'm wondering if you had a favorite piece of advice for our listeners uh, or a chapter that resonated with you personally. And then what might be the big takeaways from the book, Eric? Yeah. And so the, the chapter is tough. The, I, I do like the speed uh, the, that, of getting back to people, um, making such a big difference. Um, and that's Sean Fector's chapter. Um, and also like David Brownlee is the serve chapter. I, it's really hard because there's something in every single one of the chapters that I, I, I really like, and they're written such so differently. Some of them tell their personal journeys in sales um, of what was it like working from a mom, mom and pop shop and learning firsthand when that the customer is always, always a quote, always, always right. Um, when you know that they just felt unjust about something, but you realize that no, the customer is most important. So for me, the number one theme that I really like that comes up in the book a lot is in the big picture in the world of sales, the number one most important person in the room is the customer and the client. Um, that's who, it, that's what makes it all go round. And so it's up to us to treat them with more respect than, than anybody. Every time the phone rings and it's a potential customer or client, um, you should treat that them as if your favorite musician is on the phone calling you. And if you, how would you feel if, you know, say, uh, George Harrison or, 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 or somebody, your favorite, your, one of your favorite musicians called you on the phone, you're going to treat them like, wow. That's how we need to think about all of our customers. And one of the themes throughout the whole book is treating the customers with that level of respect is, is really valuable in the sales world. You are right on with that. And I would add to that, that um, the chapter that deals with uh, the response rate, all right, to a customer 
uh, and the reason you've said it now three times is that it's extremely critical because if the client isn't getting communicated with, they feel ignored. If they don't, if they feel ignored, they feel less than. So put yourself in the same shoes as somebody else. So here's where I'd like to talk about maybe the empathy side of it. If you, as a salesperson, have ever been in the same place that you've put one of your customers in, where you switched vendors, like the guy did with the rental car, you don't want people doing that. You want people staying with you. And the only way you keep lifetime customers is to treat those people with respect, speed of the service, which is what you said, meaning getting back to them, being totally transparent, honest about what you're going to tell them went wrong or did go wrong, how you're going to repair it if something did go wrong, and how quickly you're going to get that done. All of those elements come into not only gaining a client, but getting customers to give you testimonials about who you are, your character as an individual, your loyalty toward them, and their loyalty toward you. So those are key factors. You know, I I teach a course in selling, so I can speak to this all the time, and it's important. And your book is going to become required reading for all the courses that I teach in selling. It's called Peak Performance Mindset Tools for Sales. This is Eric Severson, and it's E-R-I-K-S-E-R-V-E-N-S-E-N.com. There you can go to learn more about the book. You can look them up on the internet. We'll have a link to Amazon. Any parting words, Eric? Uh, no, Greg, I just love what you're doing. Um, we met at a conference a while ago, and it was exciting meeting you then. It's been exciting to keep in touch a little bit, and I'm just excited to follow what you're doing. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And believe me, we'll be getting more copies of the book. So absolutely, you take care. Namaste to you, man. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Bye, Greg. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.